We're going to get back to that story in just a moment. First, let me welcome you uh, to this time with the Lord and, and with His Word. Um, I am often where you are, listening to preachers, and um, I, I know how that goes most often. In fact, I'm a big critic of preachers, and, and here I am one. And uh, I often say that most sermons are true, they're just not really helpful. You know, the pastor stays up here and high and lofty and doesn't ever break it down to application. And uh, I pray that your time will be well spent, that it won't just be truth that you hear, but it'll be applicable truth to your life, and it'll make a difference, you know, for you personally, and also for the impact of your life in the world. That's a cause for prayer. Let's pray. May the words of my mouth, Lord, may they, of course, be true. Not just be opinion, not just preference, but that they would be the truth that that you want me to understand and, and you want uh, everyone who hears my voice to affirm. Even if they fight with it, even if they wrestle with it, there's a, there's a sense of truth that we hear that disturbs us because it's true. Otherwise, we'd dismiss it. So let the words of my mouth be true and let them also, Lord, be helpful because you have given your word for the benefit of your people, uh, not just so that we would be smarter and wiser about you, but that your truth would be helpful to us. So let it be helpful. Let the words of my mouth and let the thoughts of all the assembled hearts, Lord, because there's also that part of learning, not just what the teacher has to say, but what the student has to hear. Uh, let, Lord, their hearts also be open to your truth. And let them be attentive and by your Holy Spirit break down the barriers and let them at least give consideration and weigh your truth as it applies to their life. We pray in Christ Jesus. Amen. Well, this series is called uh, Freeway, A Not-So-Perfect Guide to Freedom. Kind of a strange title, actually. Uh, freeway, of course, is, is the means to get to some place, but we all know that life is not about the destination, it's about the journey. And we're all on a journey, and I pray that you're on that narrow path that leads to eternal life. And uh, we want that journey to be uh, helpful. Uh, we want it to be beneficial. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have it to the full. He wants you to benefit uh, from his wisdom in your life, and that will bring him glory. It will also serve the world well. So uh, that's why we call it Freeway, a not-so-perfect guide to freedom. Well, this is the guide. What do you mean it's not so perfect? Well, this is perfect, but Jesus, when he was talking about freedom, uh, said, if you abide in my word, then you will truly be my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. And, and so there's those two qualifiers that are so troublesome. First of all, to know his word. There's 66 books in this volume. You know, 39 in the Old Testament, 27 in the New Testament. Do you know them? Do you know what they have to say? And do you understand them? You know, there are some uh, 1,200 different chapters. There are 32,000 different verses. So there's that troubling fact of knowing. Do you know what God has to say? And and if you know it, then there's that abiding in it. You know, it's uh, to know and, and to live it. And so therein lies the not-so-perfect guide kind of thing. Today we're going to be uh, using a story right out of the life of Christ from Matthew chapter 14. The first 13 verses, really only one verse. We're going to be looking at verse 13, but the first 12 set up verse 13. So if you want to go there on your smartphone and look at the Bible app and choose live destination, it will pop up for you at this place. 
Uh, if you're listening online, you can just take your Bible out or you can use your phone as I often do now and just open the Bible uh, app on your phone and go to Matthew chapter 14. We're going to be looking at the first 13 verses in just a moment. We're going to start each of these uh, weekends with a true story right out of the headlines. How many of you remember the story of Jason Russell and uh, Joseph Coney? Just what I thought. Nobody, you know. Uh, 2012, it was huge on the university campuses, and most of you are beyond that time in your life. Uh, There were posters, there were billboards everywhere. Uh, Jason Russell is truly an American hero, the guy on your left, and and you probably need to know his name. You need to know what he's about. You see, the guy on the right, uh, Joseph Coney, is the head of the Lord's Resistance Army. Not the Lord as you know him. He believes in 13 evil demons that guide him in his life, and he is uh, committing atrocities, and, um, and uh, uh, killings and rapes and murders and genocide in northern Uganda. Uh, just an evil, evil man. And, and uh, Jason Russell, the guy on your left, uh, on the big screen behind me, he said, we ought to do something about this, and, and uh, I'm somebody, maybe I can do something about it. So he produced a 30-minute video for release on YouTube to expose this guy, to turn the world out, to hunt him down and find him. This guy is so evil that he has abducted some 30,000 young boys and he made them into warriors with machetes that just chop indiscriminately and and destroy villages, burn villages and kill people without uh, any remorse. Uh, He is so evil that he once took a young girl who was only 8 years old, had her chop the head off of a neighbor's baby, carried around on a stick all day long, and then kept her as a slave for his army for 10 years until she managed to escape. This is the kind of evil this guy is. And uh, Jason Russell said, this guy has to be stopped, and I'm going to stop it. And the way I'm going to do that is I'm going to create such a sensation in America and in Europe that, that we're going to bring attention to him because darkness hates light. And uh, people are going to rise up when they see what kind of a guy he truly is. And they're going to they're end his life and end his reign of terror. And so he developed this YouTube video, 30 minutes. In one week's time, 100 million hits. 100 million. It set an all-time record for YouTube. 30-minute video. 100 million hits. And Jason Russell's life got turned upside down. And all this pressure was on him for interviews. And, and all of this attention was brought to his life. And he didn't anticipate that. So that, uh, in fact, the attention and the demands upon him became so great that he had a psychotic breakdown. And as the news story told us, uh, he was caught, you know, just out of his mind, running naked in the streets of San Diego. And, and some people know that story but don't know what brought him to that point. He was later interviewed by Oprah. And also at the leadership summit as to what you have learned from your experience. And uh, he said in that experience, I learned, as you heard him say, is that you have to say no to some things. And then you have to also let go and let God. You know, be still and know that I am God. You are not God. I've got this, he said. And, and, and so on the basis of that, you got to ask, are you at that point? You know, has the stress and has the demand of your life maybe not caused you to go stark naked through the streets screaming obscenities against the devil, uh, but nearly so? Are you, are you that close to breaking down or just becoming irresponsible and throwing your hands up and saying, I can't take it anymore? You know, just the demands of my life, the busyness of life is driving me nearly insane. Well, let's take a look at our text from Matthew chapter 14, verses 1 to 13. 
and see what we can learn from the example of our Savior Christ. At that time, Herod the Tetrarch heard reports about Jesus. Now, this was not YouTube era. This was not evening news era. This was not uh, 24-hour news era. This was rumor era. And he said to his attendants, Ah, this must be John the Baptist raised from the dead. He had actually killed John the Baptist, and he's still worried about it because John was innocent. He knew it, and he thought Jesus was John raised from the dead. That is why miraculous powers are at work in him. Now we get a little backfill on the story as uh, Matthew tells us why he thought that. Now Herod had arrested John and bound him and put him in prison because of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife. You see, Herod had desired his brother Philip's wife and he had taken her for his own wife and John spoke out against it. For John had been saying to him, it's not lawful for you to have her. Herod wanted to kill John. You know, stop the embarrassment of his preaching. But he was afraid of the people because they all considered John to be a true prophet. On Herod's birthday, the daughter of Herodias danced for the guest and pleased Herod so. You know, so he threw a big birthday party and, uh, and his wife's daughter danced for them and he was so pleased and he was so drunk that we are told in the scripture that he said, ask whatever you want up to half of my kingdom and I will give it to you. And uh, it pleased Herod so much that he promised with an oath in front of all of his guests that whatever she asked, he would provide. So prompted by her mother, she said, here's what I want. On the platter, the head of John the Baptist. The king was distressed. But what could he do? He had made an oath. He had done it in front of guests in public. And so he ordered that her request would be granted and he had John beheaded in prison And John's head was brought to him on a platter and given to the girl who carried it to her mother. John's disciples came and took his body and buried it. Then they went and they told Jesus what had happened. Here's the key verse. When Jesus heard that John had been martyred, he withdrew by a boat privately to a solitary place. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the town. Now, this is where we're going to stop, and if we read on, we'll know that Jesus withdrew. This was, this was a poignant time, a serious time in his life, and he knew things were about to change for him. He certainly had compassion for everybody who loved and cared for John, and, and he must have known the confusion it would cause, and is there no God who cares about anything in the world, and this was so evil on the part of Herod, how could this be allowed, and those questions, certainly, but, but also Jesus knew that now the attention would be brought to him. That his year of popularity was over and his year of opposition would begin and he would be the next martyr for the cause of uh, the gospel, the good news of God's desire to love and forgive and to restore his people to a right relationship with himself. Jesus knew all of this and he said, I need to get away. Uh, Certainly that's part of it. But when he got away and he came out of the boat, 5,000 men and any number of women and children had followed ahead of him because he was a miracle worker and they had need for miracles. And this is where the feeding of the 5,000 occurs. And so Jesus uh, sees them and he considers them like sheep without a shepherd. Personally, in my own sinful nature, I would have said, uh, no. You know, I came to get away, push off, let's go further down the coast. 
But that was not Jesus. He had compassion for them. So just when he needed help the most, he continued to give of himself to others. So the question is, you know, how do you keep from reaching that breaking point? Is saying no the answer? I don't believe it is. You'll, you'll have to say no a hundred times in a thousand different ways uh, as you negotiate your way through life with your children, with your spouse, with your friends, all the activities, all the expectation, all the demands. It'll just be so stressful as for you to say no. I think no is the result of a better decision. And the better decision is to say yes to God and to his priorities in your life. That you would know what God would have you be, what God would have you do in your circumstance at this time in your life, that you would be God's person and understand what he expects of you. When you say yes to the Lord and and you make that clear, then the no's take care of themselves. It doesn't become burdensome for you to let go and to let God. It just becomes usual for you. So today is not about finding balance in life. In, in, in fact, balance can be uh, annoying. It can be so stressful. You know, how much time do I give to work? How much time do I give to play? And, and you argue with your wife that you need time for yourself. Your wife argues that she needs time away from the kids. And finding that kind of balance. And, and then what about your social life? And, and what about uh, your friends and their expectations of you? And what about your kids' activities? And, and, and so finding balance just means managing schedules. Getting more done, not less done in your life. So this is not about... Managing your schedule. That's not what Jesus was doing when he heard this news. He didn't say, we got to manage our schedule better because it's about to happen for us. Today's lesson is not about workaholism either. In fact, there's a scripture that says, um, whatever your hand finds to do, verily do it with all your might. So once you find out who you are and what is expected of you, give yourself completely to that. And then how that finds expression at work how that finds expression in your family, how that finds expression with your friends or with your children becomes just an expression of who you are and you're supposed to give yourself completely to that. You know, people who burn out don't burn out because they're overworked. We always have plenty to do. They burn out because they are conflicted about their work or they lack appreciation or an understanding that they are doing the right things. So I'm not talking to you about workaholism. Jesus didn't say, you know, we're overworked here. We need to get away. This lesson is not about vacation either. Vacation is a, you know, once a year kind of thing or maybe twice a year if you're fortunate. And I'm all in favor of balance. I'm all in favor of, uh, you know, uh, these other things. I'm all in favor of vacation. But that's not what this is about either. Uh, No, this is about a way in which Jesus lived. Today's lesson is about spending time with God. Today's lesson is about learning how to say yes to God in your life. And this was not a new practice for Jesus. This wasn't something that he suddenly began to do because pressure was on him. This was Jesus' usual practice. Let's go to Mark chapter 1. And notice it's Mark chapter 1. This is at the beginning of Jesus' public life. This is not later in his life when things begin to heat up for him. This was the way he lived his normal life. Very early in the morning, Mark chapter 1, while it was still dark... Jesus got up and left the house where the disciples were being cared for. And he went off to a solitary place where he prayed. It was his usual practice in life. I don't know if it's your usual practice in life. But if it was important for Jesus to find quiet time, to slow it down, and to spend time with the Father. How will you know 
you know, what God wants you to do unless you spend time with him. And, and i got to believe that your circumstance is different than my circumstance. And although the same truth applies to us equally, it applies to you differently than it applies to me. God's principles of salvation, yes. His love for me, yes. His promise that he will never leave me, never desert me. His promise that he will uh, support me in my work, yes. But my work, my life, my situation, different from yours. I need to spend time with him so that he can direct me in my understanding of that purpose. And notice this was Jesus' usual practice, but it was also only momentarily detoured in this instance. When he got out and saw all those people there, uh, he ministered to them because that was his nature. And, and you don't always control your schedule. Yeah, I'm going to spend some time alone. Oh, the phone rang. I've got to go. Uh, that happens, but he didn't just say, well, I don't get to spend that time today. If we look down to verse 23, remember we stopped at verse 13. If we look down to verse 23, after he had dismissed the crowd and after he had sent the disciples away, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. And later that night, he was there alone. This is the nature of Jesus. Uh, Not only every day was it his practice, but especially at poignant times in his life. And what one of you is not dealing with a key issue in your life now. You know, are you not just spending 15 in study of God's word? That's just another activity. But are you also just allowing some quiet time in your life for God to speak into your life as to what you should be doing now about any given situation? Jesus did that when he heard about the death of John. Just before he went down to Jerusalem to be tried And to be crucified, he also went up on the Mount of Transfiguration, remember? And he consulted with his father. Luke tells us about his exodus, his release from bondage, which was to occur in Jerusalem. Right after his baptism, before he began his public ministry, what did Jesus do? He went out into the wilderness to spend time with the Father in prayer. This was his common practice, not only daily, but especially when he was feeling the pressures of life. In fact, in the Garden of Gethsemane. Uh, the very night that he was about to be arrested and the very day before he was to be crucified, he went off into the garden with his disciples but then went apart from them to be alone with the Father. How important is that in your life if it was so important in the life of our Savior who is God's very Son? So why don't we do it? What gets in the way of finding just quiet time, peaceful time, solitude with the Father? Why do we find it so hard to say yes to God? Well, there's three reasons that I propose. And the reason I have this guy behind me that's the golf pro giving instruction is because last week I I have a a couple of golf pros who are friends of mine uh, because it makes them feel secure. Uh, and, and one of them texted me a note. Uh, he's a member of our congregation. And he's a good guy. And, and he said, I had a revelation the other day, Steve. He said, people come to us for golf lessons who we haven't seen in months, maybe even a year. And they haven't practiced what we told them to do. They want us to fix them, but they don't want to change. Is that the way God looks at us? He wants to fix us, but we don't want to change. And I responded to him, you know, good insight, brother. I I think that's part of it. I think sometimes, yeah, we refuse to practice. Sometimes we're stubborn. Sometimes we know what he wants, but we refuse to do it. We don't want to practice it, but we want things to be different. Well, they're not going to be different if we don't change. But sometimes 
It's not a question of being stubborn or unwilling to change. Sometimes we try, but we fail. This was Paul's understanding in Romans chapter 7. He said, the good that I wish I do not, I find myself doing the very things I don't wish to do. You know, who can save me from, from my sinful nature? I know that nothing good dwells in me, you know. Uh, it, it, it's just I, I fail to accomplish that which I want to accomplish. So it's not always stubborn. It's not always a refusal. Some guys try it and they just slip back into their old bad swing uh, or into their old bad spiritual practice. And sometimes they just lack the spiritual resolve. There was a time when a father came to, to the disciples and to Jesus because his son was demon-possessed. And, and he said, can you do anything about my boy? And the disciples did everything they could, and, and still uh, they couldn't bring relief to this boy. And they came to Jesus and said, can you help? And he said, can I help? Of course I can help. And the disciples said, why couldn't we do anything? And he said, this is a difficult situation. It only comes out through much prayer and fasting. In other words, it takes a spiritual, spiritual resolve. So sometimes we, we lack the spiritual resolve to get it done. Well, what's the answer? I, I think, first of all, you have to see the value. You have to see the value of spending time alone because you're very busy people. Uh, Luther once said, I have so much to do, I have to spend more time in prayer. That seems counterintuitive, doesn't it? I have so much to do, I have to spend less time in prayer. I have to spend more time doing. But that's not the way it works. You know, you need to spend more time alone. But unless you see the value of doing that, it's probably not going to happen for you. So let me kind of open that up for you. You are built for reboot. You know, if your computer freezes, what's the first thing anybody who knows anything about computers is going to tell you? Did you turn it off? You know, did you reboot your computer if it freezes up? That's the best and simple thing to do. But do you know that you're designed to do that too? You know, God has created us for a regular reboot. In fact, uh, he has built us uh, to have certain rhythms. They're called the circadian rhythm. And, and, and circa means about, you know, circa so-and-so era, you know, about that time. So about in diem, uh, carpe diem is day. So about a day. He's created rhythms in our life that last for about a day. You know, every day we can work for a period of time and then we need to rest. Your body is meant for rest. If you deny rest, if you keep pushing yourself, you will have a psychotic breakdown or else your body will just shut down and you'll fall asleep, you know, waiting uh, for a stoplight to change. You know, who knows? You know, any given place. You are built for certain rhythms. Physically, you are built for certain rhythms. Have, have you ever noticed this, that, that it's good for you? I've discovered this. It's good for me to study about an issue uh, and not resolve it, even as I do sermon prep, like a night before I want to actually write it because in the next morning, things that were confusing to me the night before become crystal clear. You know, just give it a night, you'll say. You know, let me sleep on it. Have you heard that? That's because, you know, when you sleep, your mind cleanses itself. It's just physically true. You know, or you've told your children you'll feel better in the morning. And they do, miraculously, because rest is required. That's physically true of us. It's also a spiritual truth. The Lord said, remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. Six days you shall work, but on the seventh day you shall rest. God has built certain rhythms into us being spiritually well that he also expects us to spend some time not working. In fact, there were laws about, you know, uh, what they could do and what they could not do on the Sabbath. And they were asked to rest and to give time in meditation to God. Well, God is not asking you to do anything here. In fact, he's asking you to let him do something. I appreciate that uh, Jason Russell didn't say, I just only learned that I need to say no more. He also said, I need to learn that I can't do it all, that God wants to be in this with me. 
and he went to his pastor, and his pastor prayed over him Psalm 46. Make a note, Psalm 46, powerful psalm. Uh, it's been an inspiration for many. It's everybody's favorite psalm. Uh, in that psalm, at the end, verse 10, uh, the Lord says, Be still, be quiet, find solitude, and know that I am God. Know that I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in all the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. We are not alone in this. Be still. You know, when can you be still? I don't know. It's different in your life than in mine. I can't tell you when to be still. I grew up um, as a, a kid of a, of a fairly large family. And my mom uh, had rheumatic fever. My dad worked uh, factory third trick. He couldn't be there to watch over us. And, and in those days... Uh, the only cure for rheumatic fever was com- constant bed rest. So my mom was in bed basically for a year and uh, couldn't be bothered with all these kids. And so they shipped us out. And I spent a year living with my uh, grandparents on a farm. And it was a great experience for me, not so much for them probably, but for me it was a great experience to be on a farm. And, and what I remember is my grandpa got up really early. He was, he was a farmer. They had every kind of animal and every kind of uh, crop. And, you know, it was one of those, you know, do-it-all farms, not like today where they're specialized. And I remember my grandpa would get up, you know, before we all did, and uh, he would go out and do chores. He had chores that he did before breakfast. And then while grandma was fixing breakfast, I would wake up, and he would be sitting in a chair reading his Bible. And that was his quiet time. I don't know what that time is for you. I, I like to get to work early. And in fact, some of our leadership staff are always the first piece, people. If you call our office between 8 and 8.30, probably you won't get the phone answered because we're in staff devotions. But most of the leadership staff gets here before 7, you know, because we like to spend some quiet time before the craziness begins and before the phones start to ring and staff begins to knock. I don't know what the time is for you. Maybe it's lunchtime. You know, at our staff, too, I see some people who like to socialize during lunch, and that's a great thing for them to get together and, and care about each other and get to know each other at a social level and a personal level, not just a business level. But some take their food, and, and some do this occasionally, and some do this all the time, off to their desk or off to a picnic table that's outside our building, you know, so they can have quiet time. Maybe for you it's in the evening. Man, I like to, you know, uh, do that. I, at least half of the days in the week, uh, you know, I'll watch the news with my wife and maybe we'll watch the opening of Jimmy Fallon or something and then, and then I go work. You know, it's quiet and, and it's just peaceful and I can just, you know, spend some time with the Lord saying, Lord, what's your will for my life at this time in my life? You know, and this isn't true for me, but I know it's true for my wife. A bath does wonders for her, you know. And if you're a mom with young kids, I think the best thing your husband can do is just give you some alone time, right? You know, let you go off and, you know, pour a bath and maybe light a candle and just, you know, some quiet, some stillness. You're built for that. And I pray that it becomes also a spiritual thing that you will just be still, be still, be still. And let God be God. Let him be exalted in your life as he is exalted in all the nations. And now I want to go back to the first part of that chapter. uh, Because he's also asking that you focus on all he has done in the past. You know, he gets to that, be still and know that I'm God. But only after he does uh, a rehearsal of what he's historically done. Let's look at the first part of that Psalm 46. He said, you know, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of our God. He's talking about heaven and the, the river that flows from the throne of God in heaven. Even in the Old Testament, they knew that that was there. He said it's the holy place where the Lord Almighty dwells. In other words, he says, God is in heaven. I don't care what you're facing on earth. 
God is in heaven. He's reigning on the throne. God is within her and she will not fail. God will be her, with her at break of day. God is in heaven. Oh, nations are in an uproar. There's craziness on the earth. There's craziness in your life. There's craziness in your kid's life. You know, nations are in an uproar. Kingdoms come, kingdoms go. He can lift his voice. The earth will melt. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. He says the God who has caused battles uh, to occur uh, and, and, has, and has caused the outcome of the battles, uh, he, he can break the spear. He can crush the bow. He can burn the shields. The God who has done great things for Israel, he's with you. Now, that's all they knew in the Old Testament. The God who won battles for them. You know more than that. The Savior who went to the cross for you. The Savior who was born to be your Savior. And all the prophecies about him made at Christmas. So when you look back, you don't just say the battles that he won. You say the cross that he died on. The promise that he made. Even aware of what was to take place. I'm going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to be tried. I'm going to be killed. And on the third day, I'm going to be raised from the dead. It didn't happen to him. It was a choice that he made for you. And so as David looked back on the battles that God won for him, said, I can trust him. You can look back on the cross and say, look what he did for me. I can trust him. Be still and know that the one who died for me, will he not also with this sacrifice freely give me all things? Jesus withdrew to a quiet place. You know, on the screen behind me is a young man with his hand over his ears. You know, if, if you're always dealing with trauma, if you're always dealing with conflict, if you're always dealing with activity, if you're always dealing with noise and activity in your life, uh, you can't hear the Lord speak to you. You can't take the scriptures that you hear and apply them to your life distinctly from applying them to my life. And if Jesus had a need to spend time and say, Father, at this point in my life, how should I embrace this time? If Jesus had that need, how much more do you have that need? If that was a, a powerful thing then, how much more is it a powerful thing now? The Bible says, come near to God and he will come near to you. Read that with me. Come near to God and he will come near to you. It's not all the no's that you need to say in life. It's the yes that you need to say, Lord, reveal your will for my life now. The no's will take care of themselves. But to say yes, you first have to listen. Amen. Let me pray for you and for me. Uh, Lord, I, I pray that this has been not just true but helpful. Uh, that we have seen how you, true God and true man, uh, dealt with difficulties in life and, and dealt with your daily pressures in life by finding solitude, finding a moment. Help me uh, find a moment, Lord, when I can not only just study more and be engaged in more activity, but when I can think about how does that apply to me, Lord? What would you have me do in this situation? And let me believe, Lord, that you're going to speak into my life through the advice of someone, through uh, a situation as it turns and resolves, or, or um, maybe through just a, a personal impression, a strong prompting. Because I know that by your word, your spirit goes to work on my heart and leads me to discover truth for my life. Lord, let it be so in the lives of these, your people, I pray in Christ. Amen. Mm -hmm.